And uh, the title of today's message is uh, Prayer for the Church, or if you want to be a little bit more specific, Paul's Prayer for the Church from Colossians chapter 1. So to give you a little bit of background to uh, the book, and, and we've spent some time in the book of Colossians before, but essentially what's going on is the Apostle Paul uh, is a prisoner in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Colossae. And so you're familiar, of course, with Paul, I'm sure, from Scripture. He wrote most of the New Testament. And while he was in prison, though, he had a visit by a man by the name of Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was the pastor of the church in Colossae, a church that was planted as an outflow of the uh, dispersion that happened from Jerusalem. And so this was a church that was planted, uh, that was being developed, that was being established. And in fact, what we know about this church uh, throughout the book is that the church in Colossae was in fact seeing great things happen. Uh, they were seeing people come to know Christ. They were seeing, as Paul describes it, there was fruit uh, in the community from the result of this church that had been planted. However, uh, unfortunately, like with any church, sometimes problems begin to arise. And so that's what we see in the church there in Colossae. There's some problems that came up specifically in the area of false doctrine that was being taught within the church body. And by the way, we should always be aware of that, okay? We always need to be aware of the fact that there are those um, that though they may seem sometimes to present Christ, they are in fact a false Christ. They are uh, in fact trying to do the work of our adversary, the devil, within the church. Now that's not to make everybody suspicious of one another, but it's just the reality, okay? Satan, our adversary, is the great copier of all things that are good. And whenever there is something that is good and something that is righteous, what happens is we see our adversary have something that's false and not true, but it appears as, we know that he appeared as an angel of light. And so we need to be aware of that. So within this church, that's what happened. There was some false doctrine, and we're not sure how that all happened, how people began to come in. I'm not sure why the leadership of Paphros himself did not speak out against it, although maybe he was, but there was some influence that was taken. We're not sure of the whole situation, but what we do know this is that Epaphras felt the need for counsel, and that's a good thing, by the way. And so what did he do? He went all the way to Rome to visit Paul in prison and and asked him how he could handle um, this difficulty that was within the church. And so Paul gave him some good advice, as he always did, as the apostle uh, that was there for that moment. He gave some great advice to him, and and, and also as a, reflo- a reflection of that and as an outflow of that, we have this book of Colossians that was written to help address those errors. In fact, the whole book, if you could give it a theme, would be about being rooted in the truth, being, uh, having a firm roots in the Word of God and understanding what it is that you believe. And by the way, all of us should have that. You all should have a firmly rooted faith. You should know what you believe and why you believe it and what Scripture says about it. And so he writes this book to them, and it's all about being rooted and, and, and exposed false doctrine and continuing faithfully with Jesus Christ. But here's something that's interesting about this letter. Paul gives them some great advice, and he obviously encourages them so much, but Paul actually never visited that church in Colossae. Did you know that? He actually had never been. He had never met those people. They had never uh, seen him face to face because he was in prison. (laughs) And so Paul did whatever it was that he could do, and at that moment, what he could do was he could write this letter And, as we're going to see, he could pray for them. I think one of the great things that all of us need to remember is that sometimes when you feel like you can't do anything, it's just okay to pray. (laughs) It's okay to pray. And you know what? It's not a bad idea to write a nice handwritten note either and just encourage somebody. I think, have you ever gotten a letter? You're always like, what is this, right? You know, every day I check the mail hoping I get something, and it's just junk all the time, right? And then I get that one. It looks really nice, you know? It's got my name on the front. Brandon, have you ever got these? got your name on the front, and it's like, well, someone wrote me a letter, and you open up, and it's just some realtor who figured out my name, you know, and wants, to, wants me to sell my landlord's house to them, you know? Anyway. <laughs> 
And so those are the things that you can do. You can encourage. So Paul, that's the situation he found himself in. He had never been there, but he's trying to encourage them. So he writes them this letter, which we're not going to cover the whole letter today. And he also prayed for them. He did what he could. And the passage that we're going to cover today is Paul's prayer. He actually writes it out for us. His prayer for the church in Colossae. And he asked there three great things. And the reason I want to highlight them this morning is because I think for us as a church, these are things that I want us to be mindful of that we should be praying for each other. And so Paul gives us a great example of how we should be praying for other believers. You know, last week we talked about serving together and working together as a church family. And if we're going to be the kind of church that truly does have a singular focus and is working together, one of the things that we're going to have to do is just be willing to pray for each other. And I don't mean, God, bless everybody at church. (laughs) That's not what I mean. Although that's a nice prayer, isn't it? God, just bless everybody. Bless the whole wide world, right? (laughs) God wants us to be more specific in that. We see that in Scripture. He wants us to be intelligent and to be specific in the way that we pray for one another. And Paul gives us this great example here. You know, prayer makes a difference. Did you know that? Prayer makes a difference. I was reading in my devotions this week in the book of Isaiah about King Hezekiah and how Hezekiah was uh, at a point of sickness to death. And really, God had even revealed to him that he was going to die. And through the prayers, the, the, the specific uh, continuing prayers of Hezekiah, God gave to him a sign and extended his life by 15 years. Now, that's a really incredible story. We're not going to get into that today. But the point I want to make is that prayer does make a difference. Did you know that your prayers can move the hand and the heart of God? That's a principle that we see all throughout Scripture, that God can be moved by the prayers of his people. And that's why he calls on us to pray, uh, pray, and this is why we're talking about prayer this morning. It makes a difference. And this passage that we're going to cover here in Colossians chapter 1, and we'll look at verse number 9 through 11 this morning, what we see is what I desire for our church in the sense that I wish that this would be the heartbeat of our church. That we would be a group of people, not just strangers who gather together once or twice a week, but that we would be a people that care enough about each other, that care enough about the gospel in this city, that we would be praying this into each other's lives, that we'd be encouraging each other in these ways. See, if we're going to bring glory to God in our church and in our lives, a big part of that is being willing to pray and encourage one another in these areas that we're going to cover. So the question is, you're saying, what, all right, what did Paul pray for this church? How should we be praying for each other? Well, let's begin in verse number nine of Colossians chapter one. He says this, for this cause we also. Now you say, well, what cause is he talking about? He's talking about verse number six, where he talks about that his desire for them is that they would bring forth fruit. Okay, so he, he says, for this cause, for the desire of you bringing forth fruit, the fact that you would be evident and people would see you in this community and God would be working through you, he says, here's what I'm praying. Since the day that we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I want you to see here that Paul's prayer And it also was his desire, so he's praying his desire for the church. Number one is that they would be filled with spiritual knowledge. If you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to write that down, that they would be filled with spiritual knowledge. Look again at verse number nine. He says to them, my desire is that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first great request that he makes here is that they would know the will of God for their lives. And not just notice, not just know what the will is, but to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Did you see that there? 
It says be filled. Now you say, well, what does that word filled mean? Well, that word filled means filled (laughs) to the top. It means to cram it in. It means fulfilled. It means equipped. It's the idea of a ship that is ready to go. I mean, some cruise ship that is loaded for a seven-day cruise to Alaska there and back. It, is, it has everything that is needed. It's like when you go to 7-Eleven and you get that Slurpee cup and you fill it up all the way to the top. And then as you look around, you go and you pound it on the counter a little bit and you get an extra like half inch and then you fill that up and then you put the lid on, right? And the lid has this hole that's about this big. You never do this, Chris? Come on. I got four boys and so this is what we do. And you go in there and you kind of pound it out a little bit more and you got the lid on, you put that lid underneath and you look around again and you just fill it all the way to the top until there's a little bubble that pours out and then you, it's disgusting. But you know what I mean, full, I mean all the way to the very top is what he's saying here. So his desire, this is what he's trying to say is that we as people would be so full of an understanding and a knowledge of the will of God that it's, you can't help but notice it is basically the idea. In other words, every aspect of our life, the will of God is to permeate. In fact, even our very being, the way that we think, the way that we act, you know, the will of God is to flow through us and out of us. Now, what he's saying here is not just the specific will of God. Now, let's just clarify this real quickly, because in Scripture, there is God's revealed will for us, which is the Scripture, okay? This is God's, if you ever say, what is God's will for my life? Just open this up and read it. This is the revealed will of God. But God also has a specific will for each of us. I do believe that. I know that God's will for my life is that I be a pastor and be a part of planting City Baptist Church in 2014. That was God's will for my life, and I'm living within that will. He revealed that to me, and I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I know that I was supposed to marry Jeanette. Thankfully, right? Praise God, right? He revealed that to me in much prayer and anguish and tears. God revealed that to me. I'm just joking. (laughs) He revealed that to me. He brought her into my life. And and through so many circumstances, I knew that she was God's will for my life. So that's the specific will of God for my life. And by the way, and you can miss that. You can live outside of that. You can rebel against that. But here's what we do know is that there is a revealed will for us, and that is his word. So that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about maybe something specific, uh, maybe a situation or, or something specifically, a career or marriage uh, that's within your own life, but he's talking about here that you would be filled with the will, the revealed will, the knowledge of God. I think if I was to boil it down to a simple statement, it would be what this says in Acts 17, for in him we live and move and have our being. It's the idea that every aspect of our life flows from a knowledge of the will of God. And Paul's prayer for the church is that they would have such a knowledge of the will of God that it would flow out of their behavior and their conduct. It would even reach down into the imagination and their thought that their thoughts would be conformed to the will of God. Think about Romans 12, 2 that tells us to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. Why is that? Because it says here uh, that you may prove what is that good good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we can do the perfect will of God, the will of God for our lives as we are being renewed in his word. The point is this, God tells us that, in, that it is through his word that we can know how to live life. In fact, his word tells us how to approach life. We've said this before, but whenever you're faced with a difficulty and a struggle, the first thought you should have is not, what am I going to do? But it should be, what does God's word say about what I'm facing right now? I'm going through a crisis in my personal relationship. I'm, I'm facing a job loss. I'm, I'm facing a financial difficulty. There's, some, there's an issue within my marriage. What is it that I'm supposed to do? You're supposed to go to the word of God. This is his revealed will for us. And so we are to know it. We are to study it. You and I should have a knowledge of God's will in such a great way that it flows out of us. 
but it isn't just about head knowledge. Notice again at verse number nine. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will so you know the word of God. But it's not just in your head because by the way, I know, I know a lot of people who know the Bible very well, but it doesn't get any further than their, than their head. It doesn't actually play out in their life. It doesn't affect the way that they act. There's more than that. Notice he says, the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So knowing the will of God, knowing his word and being obedient to it involves both wisdom and it involves spiritual understanding. Let's define these for us. Wisdom is knowing the first principles of life. That means knowing what the word of God says. Okay, so we've already covered that. That's, the, that's understanding and knowing it. But when he says understanding, that is applying the first principles to everyday life. So he's saying, I want you to know the will of God. I want you to know what the word of God says, but I don't want you just to know it in your head. I want you to apply it then to life's situations. In Proverbs chapter two, uh, Solomon speaking, and he says here, my son, if you'll receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart understanding. Those are two different things here. We need to have the wisdom and the knowledge, but we need to be able to apply it to life's situations. And so Paul here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, my prayer to you, the church in uh, Colossae, is that you would be a place where believers can know the will of God, can study the will of God, can understand what the word of God says, but then beyond that, apply it to the situations that they're facing. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good thing. (laughs) I would love that if in my life, every time I had an issue, every time I had a problem, scripture would just come to my mind, and I would know how to to, uh, address it. Wouldn't you like that? You can nod your head, it's okay. If you don't agree, just say no. But for me, yes, that's what I want. I want to be able to face the difficulties of this life that are very real, and I want to be able to say, okay, this is what the Word of God says. Now, the problem is, is we often seek substitutes, don't we? We seek substitutes. We seek, uh, <laughs> we seek other areas of information. I heard uh, a few weeks ago somebody say to me, and I thought this was so great. He said, Google is a terrible place to get your theology. And I thought that was really good. <laughs> but I would also add to that, Google is a terrible place to ask questions about how to deal with what you're going through. Because you're going to get all kinds of different answers. There's so many things that are out there. The first response of the believer, the first response of a follower of Christ is to go to the Word of God. To live in the fullness and the knowledge of the one who is all and in all. So my question is, is can you say that today? Can you say to me, if, if it's just you and I out there in the hallway after the service, and I said, hey, are, how are you doing in your knowledge and wisdom and understanding of the word? Could you say to me, hey, pastor, you know what? I am filled with the knowledge of God's will. I know what he has for me. I am able to apply it to my life. I'm able to connect it into the challenges and the situations that I'm facing. See, that's what Paul is saying here to them. He says, listen, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will but also be able to apply it to your life. That would be one good goal, I think, for all of us today. If you don't leave here with anything else, have a a passion and a burning in your heart that this week, I'm gonna try to apply the word of God to every situation that I face. I know I gotta go and see that person at work again that I really do not wanna see. (laughs) I know that I gotta deal with this project deadline that's just kind of really stressing me out right now. I've got all of these things backloaded, so how am I going to deal with it from a position of God's word. And I'm gonna search the word, I'm gonna pursue it, I'm gonna know how to have wisdom and also understanding when it comes to the will of God for my life. So he says here, I want you to have, be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then in verse number 10, he continues, 
with sort of giving us a reason as to why he would pray that. So that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The second prayer that he made for this church is that they would walk worthy of the Lord. Why don't you say that with me? Ready? Walk worthy of the Lord. You can do better than that. Walk worthy of the Lord. That's great. This is what he wants for them. He says, my prayer is that you would walk worthy of the Lord. Now, this is so critical because it's not just enough to know the word of God and apply it into your life. That is very, very important. But you must then put it into practice. You must begin to put it into practice because true knowledge of God, get this, true knowledge of God always leads to obedience. It always leads to obedience. Let's define these two terms here, walk worthy. Walk is our lives, our behavior, and our conduct. Worthy is with equal weight to Christ. Now you might say, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. And it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't seem right, but it is. If he's saying to us that we should walk worthy of the Lord, here's what it means. It means that you, and it is possible for you, to live your life in such a way that it brings the same kind of weight that Christ, your Savior, brought to this earth. Now, that's huge right there when you think about it. That makes me uncomfortable to think that. Because this is Almighty God, my Savior, the one who died on the cross for my sins. Yes, but we also know that as believers, we are to walk in his steps, right? We are Christians. That means we are, we are followers of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me here. Some of you are like, are you saying we are all God? No, okay. But you have the Holy Spirit within you, don't you? Is he real or is he not real? Does he have the same power as Almighty God or does he not have the same power? So here's what this means. It means that it is possible for you and I to live our lives in such a way that we can impact this world Remember Jesus said, I love this verse. Okay, I'm getting distracted, but this is really great. Remember when Jesus said, it's better for me to go away. Do you remember this? He said this to his disciples. It is better for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit would come and work in us. Now think about this for a moment. I didn't quote it exactly. Jesus is saying that it would be better for us to have the comforter, to have the Holy Spirit in us. It is better for us than to have the physical manifestation of Jesus himself. Now, those of you who've been here for a few years, you've heard me say this a few times. <laughs> it's really, it really hit me. But that's what he's saying. He's saying that you have something far better. Now, we would love to be like, man, it'd be awesome. Like, hey, Sunday, you know, September 25th, Jesus is going to come preach for us. We booked him eight years ago. You know, and he's finally able to come and speak for us. And we would love that, right? And we'd bring all of our sick friends and everybody, you know, and we'd all come and let's meet Jesus. But Jesus himself said, it'd be better for you if I just went away. Because he knew that the multiplication that would take place through people who are saved, who have the Spirit of God, would be far greater than if he stayed here physically on this earth. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That means that we are to live our lives in such a way, the way worthy means an axiom, which is at equal weight of the Lord, meaning the impact that we can have can truly make a difference. In other words, Christ is the pattern. We are the copies. We are to follow in his footsteps, and we can make a difference in this life. It's hard sometimes to feel like we are making a difference in any way. And there's so many seasons of my own life where I'm just like, am I making any difference? Am I doing any good at all? And we have to remember that if we have been called by God and we are walking in his steps, then you will and you are making a difference for the glory of God. 
And so we need to walk worthy. He is the pattern. We are the copies. You know, I was thinking, why are YouTube tutorials so popular? This is not something I grew up with. I wish I had, right? I grew up with stuff like this, you know. Maybe you've seen these, right? <laughs> this is what I grew up with. And so there's a, a string of broken furniture behind me uh, from poor instructions so that I didn't follow the instructions correctly. But now we have YouTube. And it's so, it's so, it's so into our society that like I've offered sometimes, some of you say, hey, pastor, have you ever done this before? And I'd be like, yeah, I've done that. You, you want me to come help you? And you're like, no, I'll just look it up on YouTube, you know? And I just feel like no one wants any wisdom anymore. No, <laughs> no, I'll just look it up on YouTube and I'll figure it out myself. Well, why do we like it? Why do we love it? Because it shows us somebody doing it step by step that we can watch and emulate. I mean, that's how I learned how to cut a chicken, you know, into pieces for frying a chicken, a whole chicken. Remember that, Jeanette? And I have my iPad there, and I'm sitting there, and almost lost a finger, and I'm cutting away trying to figure it out, and there's joints, and okay, I didn't know this. It was terrible. But we do that because we can watch somebody do it step by step. So here's the thing. We have God's YouTube channel. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the most pastor thing ever. I think I just said, this is God's YouTube channel. And, uh, And we have it here. And we can follow it. It's step by step how to approach life. And we need to look to it first rather than maybe YouTube itself. And so we look at it and we pursue it and we then begin to put it into practice. I love what the American evangelist D.L. Moody said. He said that every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. You're like, what is he talking about? The idea is that our Bible is bound in us putting feet to the gospel. We're putting feet to what God has called us to do. So how do we do that? He says here to walk worthy of the Lord. How do we do that? Well, he gives us a few things real quickly here. He says, be fruitful in every good work. So for us to be worthy, to walk worthy of God, we must obey him in every way, not halfway. To be all in. That means bearing much fruit as possible. In Titus chapter 2, verse 7, it says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In Matthew 5, we know this verse so well. To let your light so shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So he's saying that we are to be fruitful into every good work. Like an apple tree reveals what kind of tree it is by what is hanging on its branches in the same way. We should reflect and people should see the fruit of the gospel and God's work in us. It should not be something that is hid. As well, we can uh, walk worthy if when we grow in the knowledge of God. See, as we learn to walk with the Lord, as we live out his truth and obedience, as we spend genuine time in our relationship uh, with him, when we, begin to, we then begin to have a greater knowledge of God, and it then begins to flow out of us. And so we have this just great knowledge of God that can flow into others. Now, this week, uh, Chris and I were able to go down to California, and we went to a, a pastor's conference down there. And uh, it was really great. I haven't been in years and years. And uh, there was probably like, I think there was like 2,600 people there like every night. It was crazy. And, uh, and we're just like, sitting over there in our little corner, you know, just surrounded by all these strangers. Uh, But the great thing that brought us together was the Word of God. And man, there was such great preaching and encouragement. But one of the things I love about conferences like that is that I'm able to get connected with older pastors. And so I was able to spend some time with guys that have been in ministry a long time and be around them. And uh, when I was first in ministry, uh, across the office from me, uh, my my first office, it was uh, when I was in the States, and uh, my my first ministry, uh, this guy across the uh, hallway, that's what I'm trying to say, across the hallway from me, had an office, had been a pastor for like 60 years. 
And I mean, it was an amazing guy. And I used to just go in there and sit in his office to be like, just tell me stuff, you know? And he would just unload on me uh, all this great knowledge because he had this lifetime of building the knowledge of God. And this is what we should be doing. Is a way for us to walk worthy is to be growing in the knowledge of God and then have an evidence of good works in our life. You know, do your good works point others to Christ or do they point others to yourself? I think sometimes... It's easy for us to do good works so that other people notice us. It's the spiritual person, the spirit-filled person that does good works for the glory of God and for no other reason, regardless of if anybody else sees it or not. That's the evidence of a truly spiritual person, a person, person that is walking worthy of our God. So he says here in verse 10 that we are to walk worthy of our God, of our Lord, unto all pleasing, it's pleasing to God, being fruitful unto every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. But now we come to verse number 11. He says then, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Okay, this is great. So he says, I want you to live, uh, walk worthy of God. I want you to have this outward evidence of what's happening in your life and in your heart, you have this knowledge and this wisdom, but then he gives us here the reason or the way which is strengthened in God's power. He's praying that they would be strengthened in the power of God. Did you know that all of God's limitless resources are at our disposal? Did you know that? All of the resources of God and God's power is an absolute essential for the believer. And I want to prove it to you by asking two quick questions, okay? Here's, here, I want you to understand the power of God is essential in your life. You need the power of God. You need his power in your life. And here's why. Number one, first question. What good is it if we know God's will, but we don't have the power to do God's will? All right? Okay. Second question. How can we walk worthy of Christ if we don't have the power to walk worthy of Christ? See, it's for those reasons that we need the power of God. Now, in your own strength, sure, you can overcome some aspects of life. Yes. Your intelligence, your education, your background, your experience, yes. You can get through a lot of things in life, but I think you and I know very clearly that there are moments that you hit in life where you're just like, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot get through this. I cannot, <laughs> man, I don't know what to do. Put your hand up if you've ever felt like that before. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, that's me. <laughs> Brandon, that's me. That's true, isn't it? We've all. So there's an element. There's a place that you can get to in your own strength. But ultimately, you need the power of God in your life. Ultimately, you need to be strengthened. You need to be able to say, like Romans 8.31, that if God be for us, who can be against us? The power of God is very special it's very special. And he continues in this verse to give us three ways that the power of God helps us out. I want you to notice here. First of all, he says that God's power gives us patience. You notice that? He says, according to his glorious power unto all patience. Now, this is not uh, patience like just sitting around. This is an active word. It's not passive. It's active in its tense. And what it means is that there's endurance in difficulty is essentially what he's saying. He's saying that the power of God will give you endurance. It will give you perseverance. It's the, it's the, the runner that continues on even when they're all out of energy. Uh, it's the soldier that keeps pushing forward even though it seems like all is lost. 
And too many Christians give up too easily. They have the, we have the tendency to quit when circumstances become difficult. But it is godly, the power of God to help us to persevere. Some of you have been through some traumatic and very difficult and very hard situations in your life. And yet you're here today and you're saying, I give glory to God for that. What is that? That's patience. That's biblical patience that is a flow, outflow of the power of God in your life. I'm spitting a lot this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what it is. Some of you are just like... That's why no one sits in the front row, Braden. He's all good, though. He's ready. <laughs> I'll work on that. You can pray for me. <laughs> but that's perseverance. I was thinking back uh, a few years ago, and uh, Irvin will probably remember this uh, story about a guy by the name of Andre Ingram. Anybody remember him? I'm a kind of a big basketball fan, and so I like stories like this. Uh, he played in like the G League and Developmental League for about 10 years. And then after 10 years, and very few people last that long in developmental leagues, until finally he got a 10-day contract uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers, which is a terrible team. But, you know, we just feel good. We're just glad that he, uh, <laughs> we're just glad that he uh, you know, made it to the NBA. But there's something that's interesting about him. And uh, he does have a testimony, and notice there his shirt. He kind of graded his own brand. I mean, he's got gray hair, and he's signing an NBA contract, you know? <laughs> I, he, I forget exactly how old he was, uh, but his shirt says, always in pursuit. And I, I love that thought. And it's the idea of somebody that continued to persevere, even when it seemed like he was never going to make his dream of making the NBA, but he continued on, he persevered, he kept on going, and he persevered in the face of adversary until finally one day he reached it. Reminds me of James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's the same idea, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He says here that the power of God, the strength of God can give you patience, but also notice he gives you long-suffering. Now, patience has to do with circumstances. Long-suffering has to do with people, <laughs> with relationships. We all need long-suffering in our relationships, don't we? we, we okay, yeah. We need uh, to be able to deal because we're all sinners, aren't we? We're sinners, and we need that in our life. And so relationally, we need to be long-suffering. And guess what? You need the power of God to be long-suffering. Because our world is not a world of long-suffering. Our world is a world of vengeance, right? I'm going to get back at you. You said that about me, I'm going to attack you. You say this, I'm going to post this, right? That's why we're all scared all the time, right? <laughs> what if somebody says something or attacks me or says something online or whatever? We're, we're terrified of this because that's our world. But the Christian world is long-suffering in relationships. That's when people do you wrong. And when people uh, speak out against you or say something, you got to be long-suffering. But that is only possible through the power of God, because I don't have the strength to go through it on my own. I want to just hammer out that email, you know? <laughs> I want to make that post. I want to say that thing. But we need long-suffering, and that is through the power of God. And then lastly, his power is enough to give us joy. So patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Not happiness. Happiness is based off of what is happening but joy rises above the circumstances. And that's a scriptural principle that we see all throughout, all throughout the word of God, but also we see it throughout history. I mean, how is it that, I was just reading about uh, some martyrs recently that gave their lives, were burned at the stake, and as they were burned at the stake, they sang songs of praise to Jesus as they lit the flames beneath their feet. Total psychos, right? No. <laughs> that's the power of God. That's the power of God that there's people all around the world even today. By the way, there are more people dying for their faith today than at any point in history. People who willingly give up their lives 
and their livelihoods and their, their homes in order to live for Jesus Christ. That is true joy, and that comes through the power of God. And I want you to know that these resources are available to you through the limitless power of our God, but you must avail yourself of them. You must turn to God. You must beg God. You must ask him, God, would you give me the strength? Would you give me your power to get through? Paul prayed here that the church in Colossae would be filled with spiritual knowledge, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, and that they'd be strengthened in God's power. My challenge for us today is really simple. This was Paul's prayer for the church, and this is what I desire our prayer would be for each other. How great is it to be in a church family where you know that the person sitting next to you, that your spouse, that your, uh, your friend from church is praying that you would walk worthy of the Lord? You know what's something that's so interesting about prayer is that when I pray something for someone else, God always convicts me about that in my own life. <laughs> Don't you hate that? Love that? Sorry. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> and so when we pray these over each other, when we encourage one another, when we pray that, that our, our neighbor, that our person, uh, another person in our church will be filled with spiritual knowledge, when you know that somebody's going through a hard time and you pray for them to have wisdom and understanding, that they'd apply God's word to the situation that they're in, and you pray for the strength of God's power in their life, man, that's so encouraging, isn't it? And Paul, he's in prison. He can't do anything for this church. But he says, this is what I'm praying for you. And my goal for us this morning is that we would simply determine to pray this for each other. That we would encourage one another in this way. That you and I would, first of all, be challenged to be filled with the knowledge of God ourselves. That should be your first goal. And primary purpose in life is to pursue God and to know his will and be filled with that knowledge. But secondly, this is something that we can be praying upon each other and encouraging one another. You know, I want to go to a church, I want City Baptist to be a church that operates in this way. That we don't just show up as strangers and, oh, I, I recognize you and nod our heads at each other, but there's a genuine connection and relationship with each other. And we're praying this upon each other. You say, I don't even know anyone's name. I just, today's my first Sunday. Okay, great. Just pray for the left section, center section, and right section, you know, and the balcony. Just pray for them. Pray for me. Would you pray that for me? Church, would you pray these things for me? I need this. And I'll tell you what, I pray this for you. And this is the prayer of the church, the prayer for the church. And I want to challenge you to make this a part of your prayer life. Would you write down some names of people that you do know in this church? You say, I know three people. One's short, one's tall, <laughs> and myself. <laughs> So write down, short, tall, myself, and, and pray these things. You know, it'll help soften your heart for each other. Did you know that? It'll help bind our hearts together as a church family. We are, we are in this together. <laughs> we are in this together, and we have a great spiritual battle. We are fighting against principalities and powers. We're not fighting just simple, simple men, and we need the power of God, and we need each other. And we need to bond together in these areas. And so I challenge you this morning, would you be praying this for each other? Would you pursue it yourself? Would you begin to grow in these areas? Remember, it's about the glory of God. It's not about us. It's for God's glory and for his alone. Paul says, this is what I'm praying for you, church. And this is our prayer today and my challenge for us this morning. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment of reflection together. And I don't want to leave our time without asking some questions of application for you. 
And so I want to ask you this morning, are you filled with the knowledge of the will of God? Now, some of you, I know you're, you're brand new Christians. You've only been saved maybe a few, a few months. Would you make this your life's pursuit to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God? Are you reading his word? You say, pastor, I don't even know where to start. Would you come and talk to me? I'd be happy to give you some ideas, put you on the right path. But we all need to be pursuing the knowledge of the will of his God. Are you, are you walking worthy? Let me ask you that. <clears throat> are you walking worthy of the Lord? Is your life, is there a flow of good works? Not for your own glory, but for the glory of God. Are you following his revealed will for you? Are you in obedience to Christ? Are you in obedience to his word? And are you resting in your power or are you resting in the power of God? Those are some great questions for us this morning. And I just want to ask, no one's looking around and heads bowed, eyes are closed. If God spoke to you about one of these areas this morning, would you just put your hand up and just, just so I can see it, say, Pastor, God spoke to me this morning. He spoke to me about one of these three areas this morning. And if anything else, he spoke to me about praying for others. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I wonder, is there somebody who'd say, you know what, Pastor, God also spoke to me about, you know, I need to be praying this for my church family. I need to be praying this for one another. And you put your hand up to you say, you know, that's me today. God spoke to me. I need to pray this for my church family. Thank you. Would you commit that to the Lord right now as Chris plays just for a moment? Would you just make a commitment between you and the Lord right there in your seat? And would you just say, God, I'm committing today to pray this to build this, to grow this in my life. 